coming up, Mary Jo plans a day six adventure to the San Diego Zoo. That's next. From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. This is the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition, episode 588, the week of June 26th. 2016. The Diz Disneyland Edition is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, helping you plan the perfect Disneyland vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Tom Bell, and I'm joined by my good friends, Nancy Johnson. Hey! And Marjo Mata Willie. Hello! Alright, hashtag day six. Yes! So... Part two. It's, it's already been six weeks since we went to the Wild Animal Park. Now it's time to catch the other half of the San Diego Zoo combo. Right. Woohoo! So I'm as, so mad we didn't get to go. I know. Well, 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 it's definitely worth another trip, and especially in 2017, because there's some construction going on right now that'll open then, so... But to, to go into this, um, recently you all know that I reviewed the San Diego Safari Park, and along with the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Institute, they make up what's called the San Diego Zoo Global, which is a not-for-profit organization. And just so you know, the San Diego Zoo Institute is dedicated to conservation research. Not a place I'm going to visit, but just that I'd mention it. The San Diego Global is the largest zoological membership in the world with over 250,000 member households plus 130,000 child memberships. So the San Diego Zoo Global is committed to saving species worldwide by uniting their expertise in animal care and conservation science with their dedication to inspiring passion for nature. And you see um, a result of their work. They're always kind of, I wouldn't say preach, but they, as they educate the public in a fun way, um, they're letting us know about the efforts that they're making for conservation throughout in partnership with the world, which is just really important, especially as we humans encroach into the wild animal territory more and more. So this brings us to this week's six-day adventure, which is the world-famous San Diego Zoo. And I personally have been going to the zoo since I was a child, and my memories include family visits from Texas, where a day's outing to the zoo was part of our family vacation. And in those days, we'd drive two hours plus along the uh, two-lane highway through strawberry fields and orange groves. And these days we have a huge freeway and we pass through more communities than fields on our way to San Diego. But it's still a very pretty drive with views of the Pacific Ocean. And sometimes you can see San Clemente Island off in the distance. And the zoo is a different place than when I visited as a child due to their continuous efforts to provide better enclosures and educate the public while bringing us bringing in revenue to support their conservation efforts. So just something to keep in mind. When I was over there and I was like, oh, you know, you have to pay for this and you have to pay for that. Well, it's all for a good cause. So they're trying to um, bring in revenue, but also give you something in return. So that's how I look at it when I see the different things they have for sale there. So this 100-acre zoo is located in the Balboa Park area just north of downtown San Diego. It has over 3,700 rare and endangered animals, which are made up of more than 650 species and subspecies. It also has over 70, excuse me, it has over 700,000 exotic plants throughout the park. 
you compare this 100 acre zoo to the 1,800 acre safari park and you can see that they have to be creative in caring for and presenting the 3,700 animals versus the 2,600 animals at the park, safari park. And at the end of my segment, I'll give my own opinion and comparison between the two. So how did this beautiful zoo get started in the first place? We can all thank a gentleman by the name of Dr. Harry Wegeforth. Harry Wegeforth had a medical practice in San Diego and he acted as a physician during the Panama, California Exposition that was held in Balboa Park from 1915 to 1917, celebrating the opening of the Panama Canal. The inspiration for the zoo came when he was at the park with his two young daughters riding a merry-go-round. Wait, no, that's another inspiration. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this inspiration actually came on September 16, 1916, when he heard the roar of a lion from the exposition. The animals had been quarantined and they couldn't leave San Diego. And when he heard that, the, when he heard the lion roar, he com commented to his brother that it would be really nice to have a zoo in San Diego. And from that idea, he put an article in the local newspaper asking for help in organizing a zoological society to develop and support a zoological garden. People responded, and the first meeting was held on October 2nd, 1916, which is the birthday of the San Diego Zoo. So this year marks its centennial year. And if you look at the logo of the San Diego Zoo, you'll notice that it prominently features a lion, which makes it appropriate since... The lion is what inspired him in the first place for the zoo. So I thought that was cool to, to learn. The San Diego Zoo began as a long row of cages featuring lions, bears, ducks, lynxes, golden eagles, rails, which is a type of bird, a badger, a gray fox, a badger, a gray fox, <laughs> a coyote, a whip snake, a white goose, and groups of buffalo, deer, and elk. Most of the animals du had... Ducks, ducks in a cage? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Let me see. I guess they would have ducks? to have no, they a, top a goose. On oh yeah, ducks. Well, they still have ducks in their ducks, ducks, you... goose. Okay. <laughs> I could have played that game over there. I mean, they have ducks that that are not indigenous to California, so it's kind of cool to see them. Uh, like, special like the ducks. The ones okay. that I saw. The wood duck is really beautiful. Duck was there. What? Nothing. I was just gonna make up some weird name of a duck. Or something. Oh. Like Don. Continue. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they have plenty of pantomime ducks funny. over there. <clears throat> Most of these animals that I named belong to the Wonderland Amusement Park, and the exposition was renting them from the park. But then the amusement park went out of business, and there was no place for the animals to go. Other animals were donated, or Harry Wegeforth traded for them. The first do this became a, a real passion of his, and he it just grew. The first donation was a bear named Caesar that used to be a pet on a Navy ship, believe it or not. Food for these animals came from local fishermen, ranchers, and local produce markets that Wegforth had approached asking for donations. By the end of 1917, though, the zoo had run out of funds, so Wegforth and the Zoo Society began thinking of other ways to raise money to keep the zoo operational. He negotiated with the city of San Diego for land, and 1921, he finally got land in Balboa Park, though less than what he really wanted. he. So once they got the funds through these, they had uh, fundraisers and other ways to raise money. Um, they got San Diego to grant this 100 acres to them. So he used to ride his horse through the hills and the canyons to get a, to kind of get a, a visual 
of the land and and start planning how he wanted it to be. So he'd go back to his office, his medical office, and he would start planning the zoo design and layouts. So it's he, it's Harry Wegford that actually did all of this, and the current zoo design is based on what he had originally drawn out. And of course, they've um, enhanced it, but since then, but it's all due to his efforts. In 1923, um, two elephants named Empress and Queenie were brought in from India. But they didn't like traveling, so once they got to the States, they couldn't get them on the truck, so they just rode them to the zoo. So that must have been a really cool sight to see them ride the elephants to the zoo. Harry Wegeferth was personally involved with the growth of the zoo, as I said, in training the animals, building exhibits, and he was kind of a, a challenge to the various directors throughout the years, so there was a high turnover. Until he promoted a lady by the name of Belle Benchley, who was the zoo bookkeeper, and made her director. And together they worked to transform the zoo to a world-class zoo. He was involved with the zoo until his death in 1941, and the zoo's amphitheater is named Wegforth Bowl in his honor today. The zoo was a pioneer in building cages exhibits, and I remember them touting that, um, using barriers, natural barriers instead of bars to hold many of its animals um, safely away from the people. So I recently visited the San Diego Zoo uh, on a beautiful Saturday. Um, I don't even think it got quite to 80 degrees, but it was sunny and warm. So I was able to really enjoy walking up and down all those hills. Because remember, it's in canyons and hills. And so all of the exhibits are in very hilly area, which is something you need to keep in mind when you plan on going to the zoo. In comparison to the San Diego Safari Park at 1,800 acres, 100 acres may not really sound like a lot, but it sure is when you're out walking, so you really need to plan your day. The main navigation through the zoo is your feet, of course, but you can also take advantage of the bus tour that they have, and there's also a hop-on and off bus appropriately called the Kangaroo Bus that has four stops around the zoo, that you, and you can get on that throughout the day. Or you could take the Skyway that'll take you across the park for a nominal fee of $4 each way. I believe they don't allow Tony on that Skyway. Oh, of course. You know, you know once his he got the bad Disneyland rap. Yes, <laughs> his reputation precedes him. Yes. Especially in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, I should have taken a picture of it. It said, not accept you, Tony, Tony's Patel. Like <laughs> Mary Jo, we have questions when you get to those subjects about Alberts and waterfall due to the drought. So, there we go. Okay. So, one way to... What was the first thing? The waterfall and what else? Oh, oh someone was... One of our Mixlerites was reminiscing about the water, the waterfall. And uh, the and, restaurant uh, and the trees or something? Well, Alberts is um, Alberts is the restaurant in the trees, which is their flagship restaurant. And um, Mary Jo, I know we'll talk about that later. Um, but there was a, a really huge waterfall feature, and someone asked if they turned it off due to the drought. No, they recycle their water, so okay. that that's still all of their waterfalls are still going, and it's so it's very green there. But that's a really good question. Um, one way to plan your trip is to visit the website before going and click on the link that's called Plan Your Day. Um, here you can check the things that you most want to do, like the animals that you want to see, the bus tour, shows and animal exhibits. 
And although it won't give you uh, an itinerary that tells you what time to go to the different places, it'll show you where the animals are in the park so that you can you can make a point to go to that part of the zoo so that to see those animals. I also recommend checking out the map online to see where the different areas are for a rough idea before you get to the park so you can kindly roughly map it out. Um, personally, uh, for me, I, I I also you can also print out the map. I didn't do it. I just picked it up when I got there. But I left Los Angeles early because I wanted to get to the zoo at park opening. Um, right now, the zoo is open from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. So I left a little before 7 a.m. to get there. It took a two. It's 115 miles from my house. Disneyland's a little bit closer, so you can figure an hour and a half to two hours from Disneyland to get to the zoo. And you can get a lot done from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. during the summertime. The zoo closes at 5 p.m. Um, off-season as our days get shorter, so you need to keep that in mind also. Since I got there early, parking was really close to the entrance, so I copped out of my car. Everything was super easy. Uh, my main goals for the day were to visit the pandas, the gorillas, do the bus tour, and enjoy the backstage pass, which is an, an extra event that I purchased. Um, and then wander around the zoo. After that, I really didn't have any um, highlights that I wanted to see. So note that buying your tickets online gives you a discount, 10% discount. So look at that before you go. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the segment. Once at the zoo, I showed my home printed ticket. They scanned it. And it's important to keep this ticket, um, which was just a 8x10 sheet that I took with me, um, because you do need it later on in the zoo. So don't toss it. You don't turn it in. You keep it. Just um, within the entrance or past the entrance is a big stand of maps. And I recommend that you grab one or a couple for your group. On the back of the map is a list of shows, restaurants, and shops, as well as other information you may need during your visit. One thing I did, and it worked out well for me, is that I located where the different time things were, like the different shows, because I've mentioned it before, but I really love animal shows. And so I wanted to make sure to see at least one of those since I didn't see any of the safari part. So what I recommend is taking a pen so that you don't need to do what I do did, which was I walked around asking people if I could borrow their pens <laughs> till I found somebody who had a really good one. But she said I had to give it back to her because <laughs> she really liked her pen, had her name on it and everything. But what I what I did is um, I wrote down the the times of the shows and the times that I wanted to see certain things on the park so that I wouldn't be crisscrossing back and forth, which saved me time. So if you remember how I told you on the website, if you plan, if you click on, there's a link that says plan your day and you check what you want to do. And it tells you the sections of the zoo and then what animals are in that section. You print out that list, you match it to your map, and then you could plan your day. I think this is important because the zoo in the 100 acres, they've been very smart how they've done their exhibits. And you're going up and down through hills. There's a lot of trails and you don't want to be going back and forth or missing out on something that's really important to you. So I think that those are big time savers during the day and it's cheap because it's free. Um, also in the zoo, they have uh, numbers on the map that correspond to map locators throughout the zoo. So they have these pedestal signs with a big red number. And if you look on your map, the numbers match it. And I found that to be invaluable as I walked around. I never had to ask for directions because all I had to do was refer to my map 
and I could see by the, the red circle where I was in the zoo. So I was able to go from place to place with no problem. I also had read um, when I kind of was planning my, my day over there that the panda enclosure can get really busy as the day wears on. So I wanted to make that my first stop because that's some of the recommendations that I had. Plus, I wanted to go in the morning when the pandas were more active than in the heat of the day when all they're going to be doing is sleeping. So I talked to a docent near the entrance. He showed me on the map the quickest way to get to the panda enclosure and then pointed out that the nearby escalator ramp. So there's a escalator and it's a ramp so you could take your strollers on it. So the panda, the pandas are in a canyon down below. Once you go through that section, you can use the escalator to get back near the top and save yourself a lot of um, stress pushing or if you're, well, you're not going to do that in the ECV but with the strollers at least, or if you have trouble walking up a lot of hills or just are tired, you can take advantage, especially in the afternoon. So I made my way down the canyon to the panda enclosure, and I noted that at the entrance to the trail to the pandas, it said that from that point it was a 30-minute wait. Luckily, since I went there first thing in the morning, I sailed on through. I was able to walk up to the first enclosure, um, but before I got there, they, I had to take a picture. So note that they have these photo opportunities at the entrance to some of their more popular exhibits. And they'll give you a photo card to use during the day. And you can purchase the enhanced photos. You know, there's a green screen and then they put whatever animal you're going to see around you. It's kind of expected that you're going to take pictures, but there's no pressure to buy anything. So the job of the photographers is get everybody's picture and then it's up to us whether we want to follow up with the photo booth or not. So just be prepared for that when you go over there. So the first enclosure had the red pandas, which really aren't pandas at all because they're related to the raccoons, but they sure were cute. Next, we had the giant panda exhibit with two enclosures that had one panda in each one. The first one had a big female in it. All she was doing was sleeping up on her uh, platform. So we got to see her butt. And it was a cute butt, but, it, but that's always so. so. But the second exhibit was awesome because it had, I think it, the name of the panda is Xiao Liwu. Um, and it was born, I don't know if it's a he or she, but that panda was born in 2012. And that panda was wandering around, munching on leaves, climbing up, um, up like um, platforms, getting into the water to cool down, just really active. So it was really cute. I think I periscoped that that uh encounter with the with the panda and one thing that they and also when we were there in the exhibit they had a docent who was talking all about the pandas and just she just kept up this steady narrative talking about the adult grown panda and the one that was four years old the relationship with china six pandas have been born at the san diego zoo and she was telling about them and then how this six-month-old one was going to be sent to China and how they, um, you know, you can't have, you can't breed animals within the zoo with each other because then you'll have too much interbreeding. So they have these agreements with China and other zoos to send the pandas and do this interchange so that they can um, breed them. We also found out that they only breed animals that are endangered. They don't breed animals that are not endangered because they don't want overpopulation. So that's something I had never really considered. And so there's there's just a lot to learn when you go to these zoos, or at least the San Diego Zoo. 
but he was he was really cute and one thing they do is when you get there to see the in these exhibits they don't let you they let you stand but you can't stand for too long because there's a line of people behind you and you have to just keep going so you you can watch it take your picture and the way the line goes um across the front and then it does a u-turn so you get to keep looking at the pandas you walk out so it's not a quick look at it and get out but you do have to keep moving so that the other people can see it so that's just something to keep in mind oh yeah because it's so popular and that's another reason why i think going in the morning is so good because since there really was no line yet i could stay there a little bit longer than than it it had been in the afternoon when you have a ton of people and a 30-minute wait then there's just no real stopping right so just something to keep in mind and how you plan out your day. Not only the pandas, but other popular exhibits that you might want to go to. So from the panda enclosure, I made my way up the escalator ramp to go back towards the front of the park. But then I, I was distracted by the Owens Aviary, which is this huge aviary with multi-level walkways in it. And so, of course, I had to go through there because I love aviaries. And so it was kind of cool because you walked in there on this on the upper level. And then you walked out of the aviary, walked around where you could either go to another part of the park or keep going down. And then you entered the aviary on the lower level. So, of course, I did that. And by the time I was, I walked through the aviary and came out, I was down at the bottom where the escalator started again. And instead of taking the escalator back up, they have another area called the um, Fern Canyon Trail. And it's almost all steps going up. With these huge ferns, these beautiful green trees and a stream coming down. So I decided to walk up the steps to the upper level. And it really wasn't that bad because there's steps and then there's a bench if you want to wait. And then it just kind of zigzags its way up, meanders its way up. They did a really good job. So I just walked up to the top slowly and there were a bunch of botanical people looking at them. And I was just like pretty green plant. Nancy would have probably been able to name all of them. Ah, um, uh, not really. <laughs> well, I just maybe, know that you, maybe once in a day. Yeah. Well, you're pretty good at naming, knowing what different plants are and stuff like that. But I was, I was just enjoying the, the, the shade and the cool waters. I made my way up. So, yeah. and there really weren't that many people on the trail. Again, it was in the kind of still in the morning, so it was just really pretty till I got up there. And I ended up on top, and it's called, all the all the walkways have names, of course. So you have your front road, your center road, your treetop road. Um, and a lot of these are pedestrian walkways, and they also have the roads where the bus goes on. So the people are not walking, really, where the bus is. They, they keep the, the pedestrians separate, which also made it really nice that we didn't have to keep looking for buses uh, to get out of their way. So I really like that. Um, the zoo itself is laid out to represent different areas of the world with like animals that live in those areas grouped together for the most part. However, at the front of the zoo, right when you enter, and I didn't mention it when I first started, but when I went back to the front of the zoo, I saw it. It's the famous, do you guys know? what's When you first walk in the zoo, what's the famous feature? It's the Flamingo Lagoon. You. Well, and with their hundreds and, well, not hundreds of flamingos, but it's a lot of flamingos over there. Um, and it didn't smell. Really? It was beautiful. It was, it was clean. There were probably, 
There had to have been more than 50 flamingos in there. They must have febrezed the flamingo. Okay, I don't, or maybe they had just cleaned it. I don't know, but it was so cool. And the, they've, the way the San Diego Zoo has set things up is the zoo has like this wide platform so people could look at the flamingos. And then there's a set of uh, wire chairs behind it. So people can just kick back and just watch the flamingos because they're so entertaining. And they have that throughout the zoo for different exhibits where if people just want to sit in and just watch the animals, they can do that. And probably for people who have annual memberships or who go there quite a lot, that's something they want to do. Or people who live close by, just like we go to Disneyland and hang out on Main Street, they go to the zoo and they walk these beautiful trails and just watch the animals, which I, if I lived in San Diego, I probably would want to do something like that. Because it's so pretty. But one of the cool things about the flamingos right now is that there's a bunch of mud nests in the center island. And a bunch of them have an egg in them. So the flamingos lay one egg and then they they nest on top of it. And so what we got to see... So this wasn't like the egg at Animal Kingdom, is it? The ostrich egg? No, it's not a okay. no. The one that you sit in. I have a picture of Kelly inside. No, 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 no. There's what ostrich? Dur- during the during Kilimanjaro Safari, there's always a nest with an egg in it, and it's like not necessarily real. Oh no, these are real. I know. Oh okay. Um, <laughs> I have to go on the safari, so I I, don't yeah. remember, I tell you I have the memory of a gnat these days, but um. <clears throat> That, so several of the flamingos were sitting on their on their eggs, right? And then they would stand up and they would turn the egg with their beak and rotate it. So it was really cool to watch that. And I think that's why so many people were just hanging out watching them. And then there were some uh, flamingo chicks running around, which were so cute. And there, were, there was one that was probably two to three weeks old. It was all white. And then when they get older, they turn gray and kind of ugly and fuzzy. Um and then the different ones. So it was very, very entertaining. I probably spent more time than I needed to over there, but it was just really nice. But um, I did note that I was really happy to know it didn't. I noted that it didn't stink at all. <laughs> um, next to the entrance also is the Front Street stage, which is dedicated to Joan Embry. And some of you, um, dare I say, older folks might remember her from her appearances on Johnny Carson. And she used to go in there yes, with the animals. of course. So they have her, her picture up there. And they use the stage for animal encounters during the day. They have them twice a day. And in the evening, especially during the summer, they have different entertainment. They have bands playing. They have dancers at different times. And all of that is noted on the back of the map that you're carrying with you. So you can, if there's a, if you want to see these ambassador animals, you could just note what time you want to be there. So if you look at the zoo like a clock, Okay, the entrance is at six six o'clock, and to the left of it, or at seven o'clock, is the east entrance to the Skyfari, and the Skyfari is are the baskets that won't let Tony go on them, and they take you across the zoo to the other side. In this area, you'll also find the children's zoo where they have animals to pet, insect house, and other educational exhibits like the compost exhibit um, for the kids. They also have, um, in this area, they have um, one of the two 4D theaters that features the animated feature Rio. So it's based off the movie Rio um, over there. Mm -hmm. So when you buy your entrance ticket, you can also add a 4D movie. And the 
the additional cost is $6 for either Rio or Ice Age. And Ice Age is on the other side. Is it the full-length movie, or...? No, it's just a 4D movie. Okay, so... One of those little moving theater things. Gotcha. Yeah, based, I'll say based, based on... on okay. I'm sorry. Based on the uh, feature, the animated feature. Okay. So I ended up getting the ticket because I wanted to go. And when I asked the docent... I call them docent, the zookeepers. When I asked one um, which they recommended, they said Ice Age was better than Rio, so for future reference. I ended up not using it because I was walking around the zoo and, and everything, so... But I got it for just in case. Next to the children's zoo, around 8 o'clock on our, on our zoo clock, is the Wegfirth Bowl, which is an amphitheater. The Discovery Outpost is the section where the Wegfirth Bowl is, and the Discovery Outpost also has Galapagos tortoises, reptiles, and other critters. Um... I did go to the Wegfirth Bowl for a show at 11, and it was the centennial celebration because, as I said, the zoo opened in 1916, and we're in 2016, so they're celebrating their 100th year anniversary. So the celebration included a short movie about the zoo, the top 10 things, why we should like the zoo, and then it featured various animals that they brought out. And they call these animals um, ambassadors because they take them out of, you know, they're not just in an enclosure for people to watch. They're not fully... They're wild, but they're also um, trained. They're trained, but they're wild. They're and they wear plaid. Excuse me? They wear yes. plaid. Yes, they do. But no pants, just the top. <laughs> oh, like Donald. Okay. <laughs> like Donald. So the, um, the, some of the animals that they showed us was a wolf and a cheetah and a huge sea lion. Because they do have like a waterway for the sea lion to, to, so they could show what they've taught it to, or they've trained it to do. Not taught it. One thing that I learned there at the zoo is that they have companion animals that they pair with the exotic animals. Did you guys know that? Have you hmm. have you ever heard of that? No. So the companion to the wolf is a dog, and a companion to the cheetah is another type of dog. So they get they'll pick a dog and they usually go to the pound, and they usually try to find a dog that's that is very friendly and outgoing and comes up to them. And they get it when it's around six months. And then they get it when the exotic animal is younger so that the dog becomes the alpha animal and it will always be the alpha animal. And so they grow up together. They remain together in the same enclosure. And the reason why they do that is that so that the exotic animals can see that the dogs are relaxed. Because dogs have been tamed for hundreds, well, you know, thousands of years. So the dogs are comfortable around humans. So the exotic animals see that their companions are not worried or stressed out with the people. So that helps relax them so that when they bring them out to show everybody, they're not ready to pounce and eat us. Um, so it was really interesting to see this relationship. And we were told that the wild animals have never turned on their companions or vice versa, and that they are raised together, they live together, they don't separate them. And they were talking... I think it was the cheetah when the dog, when she, the cheetah's away from the dog for like more than an hour, she starts chirping for it. So it's a, it's a very, yeah, it's a, it's a, they, somebody in, the, I guess a zoo in Oregon, a, there was a rancher in Oregon who had, who had a wild animal and would have the, or the wild animals and would keep them with his dogs. And he found out that they worked well together. And so then the zoo's, got wind of it, and they decided to try it. So San Diego's been San Diego's been doing it 
for years and years, but now they're telling us about it. So it was really interesting. So um, that show lasted about half an hour, and it was uh, for free since it's part of the entrance package. It was I recommend that show. I thought it was really fun to watch and interesting also. So going back to the Zoom app, okay, we're looking at 9 o'clock now, and we're looking at the Lost Forest area. This area is a really interesting area because this is where you're going to find the tiger trail that takes you to the tiger river where they have all the tigers, the monkey trail that takes you to the gorillas. Um, and just to, just to note, you have these trails and I'm saying it takes you to the gorillas, but it's not just a road that takes you to an end result. You have all kinds of plants. You have other exhibits along the way to look at. So every, there's, Something in every, everywhere you look, there's going to be some type of exhibit to look at that's going to grab your attention, depending how much you want, whether it be birds, smaller animals, and, and other things. So it also can take a while to get to any area, depending on the interest that you have in the animal. Um, for, and on the map, they have, uh, for instance, on the, on the tiger trail, it says that if you were just to walk to the tigers, it's a 20-minute walk to get from the tigers from the entrance to the zoo. But if you're looking at all the animals along the way, it's going to take longer. So it's something to think about when you plan your day. And that's why I'm telling or I'm advising that you write down the times that you want to see either a show or that you want to go see because, um, or to go see some of the ambassador animals because through all around the zoo at different times, they will bring out different animals um, for 10 minutes to show the people with the, the interaction with the animals. So it makes it a little bit more personal. And if there's a certain animal that you're interested in seeing, like the maned wolf or the koalas or, or something, you need to put down that time so you can make sure you're in that part of the zoo at the time. Otherwise, you're going to miss out. That's something I found out. So in addition to the tiger and the monkeys that I told you about and the other apes that they have over there, they also have the hippo trail, um, another aviary called the Scripps Aviary, as well as many different gardens like the Hawaiian Garden, Ginger, Fern, Carnivorous, Bog. There's just, it's just, it's a very green part of the zoo, very shady, just absolutely beautiful. Another um, interesting thing about this part of the zoo, I might talk about it later on also, um, but they have ele elevators in a couple of parts of the zoo so that if you're down below, um, you don't, and you're in an ECV or a wheelchair, you could just take the elevator to the upper level of the park. So I, they're just, they're very ADA compliant, which I thought was really good. I'd noticed that the paths are nice and wide. The viewing areas have plenty of room for you to, for people in wheelchairs to maneuver as well as the, um, pedestrians just walking around. So it's, that's a nice option that they have there. Okay, so back to the Zoom app, 12 o'clock, which is across the way from the entrance to the zoo, is what's called the Northern Frontier. The Northern Frontier is going to have animals like the maned wolves that I just mentioned, polar bears, and the Arctic fox, as well as other animals of that area. So the Skyfari that I had mentioned goes from the Children's Zoo, which is just to the left of the entrance, to the Northern Frontier at the back of the zoo saves a lot of walking uh, when you do that. The other 4D theater is also located here, and this is where they show Ice Age. 
So going back to the map at 2 o'clock is Elephant Odyssey, which is a, a really wonderful, great um, elephant exhibit. They In the elephant exhibit, they also have some prehistoric exhibits. They tell you, you know, the history, the evolution, I guess, of, of the animals. And they have other exhibits to mixed species that won't attack each other. They have an exhibit for the pronghorns, rattlesnakes, the California condors, which we know are are an endangered um, species. And due to the efforts of the of the San Diego Zoo, LA Zoo, and some of the other zoos, they have brought them back from the brink of extinction. There were 22 left in the world, and now there's uh, like 400 of them, something like that. Um, they also have lions and other large cats here, and I think those animals are in a temporary enclosures because they were netted and they weren't really that big and come to find out that they have an area called Africa rocks. That's going to open in 2017. So Nancy, we have to go back when they open up Africa rocks. That one will have the enclosures, the bigger enclosures for the tiger, excuse me, for the lions, the jaguars and some of the other animals over there. Um, the elephant odyssey totally impressed me. Um, it's well worth a visit and, um, it's kind of cool what they do. They do different things to keep the animals, their minds going. So they don't make it simple for them to get their food. They might hang them up high and make the elephants reach up for them or reach into some uh, a trunk that looks like a trunk of a tree to get their hay and different things like that. So it's interesting to see them, um, how they go about and do that. Back to the map, the zoo map that we're looking at. At five o'clock, it's the newest exhibit, which is called, which is called the Outback. And the Outback has the Koala Fornia dreaming exhibit, where you can see koala colonies from various heights. So they have this house, Australian type house, um, in the middle of this koala enclosure. And the koala enclosure is open, is out open. And you can see the koalas at different levels down below if they're down on the ground, or you can climb up and from different platforms, you can see them at eye level if they're up in their their trees and other platforms. So they really, really have a good um, enclosure or good exhibit with the koalas. And in this area, you're also going to find uh, the kookaburra and there, and the kookaburra really did laugh. I mean, it, it called out, which is really cool. And so of course I'm singing to myself, the kookaburra song. They also have wallabies, kangaroos, Tasmanian devils, and other animals from that area. If you go up through the middle of the zoo, I'll say the center section of the zoo, you're going to find the urban jungle that has cheetahs, rhinos, giraffes, um, including a bunch of babies that they had there. A beautiful animal called the clouded leopard, uh, which comes from South Asia, I believe. Um, you can buy giraffe biscuits and you can feed the giraffes. They sell them. Um, um, three for $10 and they only sell a limited number of them because the giraffes are only going to eat so much. So they start selling them at 11 o'clock until they, until they run out of the supply for that day. So mark 11 o'clock on your map if you want to feed the giraffes so you can be there to buy the biscuits. Um, you'll also find the Asian panda, excuse me, the Asian passage and the panda canyon just beyond the urban jungle. And that's where I had started my day, um, earlier. Well, of course, I started my day earlier, right? That's redundant. But that's where I started my day when I went to the panda exhibit. In addition to seeing these animals, I had purchased a backstage pass online because they offer different activities, which I'll tell you towards the end of the segment. 
Um, the backstage pass allows you to see the ambassador animals up close from 1 p.m. to 2.30, so it was an hour and a half long. It's located in the urban jungle, so you see some of the animals that are in that area. So in our group, there were probably about 40 people, and we were taken to an area with a little stage where we were able to sit down. The zookeepers then brought out a huge African porcupine um, so that we could look at it. Uh, we weren't able to touch it, but what they did do is they had, <laughs> of course, right? Who wanted to, right? But they did bring out a bunch of quills that were um, taped together so that we could feel what they look like. And so the African porcupine is maybe at least twice, if not three times as large as the North American porcupine. It was, it was really big. Um, and they explained about the porcupine and, you know, what it ate and everything. And they walked it up and back. And one of the things I'll tell you, I didn't write this in my notes, but... When you go to these shows, if you see a log in front of the audience or some kind of, like the log is on its side or you see some kind of like flat rock, try to sit in front of it because that's where they're going to put the animals to get them up so that the people can see them. So if you want to see an animal up close, try to get near that rock or log. There's a few of them, maybe like three, because they'll go to the left side, right side, center to show them um, how they how they do that. And so... What they offered is they also they also had a platform on the side where they took the porcupine and they had, all every, all of us got a free picture with the porcupine, so that was kind of cool to do that. They're very careful in how they handle the animals and to make sure that we don't startle them because although the animals know their keepers, they certainly don't know us. And when you have a group of fifty people uh, coming to take a or forty people coming to take a picture, they're very careful about. Um, us not hurting the animal or the animal hurting us. So that's something to keep in keep in mind also. The next animal they brought out was a cloud leopard that I had told you about. The companion for the cloud leopard was its brother uh, who has since died. And they told me that once a companion dies, they don't um, bring out another one. And I know I'm saying companion, but they didn't, they didn't pair this up with a domestic animal. It was just two brothers that we're used to going from place to place as ambassador animals, animals. And so there was just this one left and it was one of the most beautiful cats I had ever seen. Uh, probably about the size of a lynx, but the paws weren't as big as a lynx. And so what they did is they had this, um, like a, like a dead tree in the middle, you know, all the branches cut off and they had this huge orangutan stuffed animal at the top of the tree. And of course they have the leopard on the leash. So it doesn't, you know, startle and spring at anybody. And, the leopard, when it saw its toy at the top of the tree, jumped up and, and climbed the tree and grabbed its toy and started tearing it apart. So it was kind of cool to see how they act when they're hunting. And they so they showed that. After that animal, they took us to another area where we were able to interact with a zebra and a, and a kangaroo. So we got our picture with the zebra. I used my own camera. I don't think they really liked it by the look on her face next to me when we did that. But... It was okay. She was happy when I periscoped her and she was, uh, saying, saying hi to the, to all the, all the people on periscope and trying to get the zebra to smile for us and everything. But <laughs> what, what I thought was really cool is they showed us how they trained the animals, um, over there and how, how they don't force the animals to do anything and they don't cage the animals when they train them. The animals can leave and go and it's just by gentle, reinforcement that could take weeks or even months they'll just 
they'll just keep doing it. For instance, one of the things they got the animal to do is apparently horses and zebras, their back teeth can grow too big. So they file them down. Kind of sounds gross, but those, those people who deal with horses probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was really cool. So they trained the zebra not to be afraid of the file and to open its mouth so they could file its teeth without restraining it. So just little, just things like that. So we all got to pet the zebra and then we all got in a big semicircle and then they brought out a kangaroo and then they let us all pet the kangaroo. They took the kangaroo from person to person. So let me ask you guys, kangaroos, do you think that their fur is coarse or soft? Super soft. Really? Like a, like a cat. Super, super soft. Um, anyway, so it was a female kangaroo and they opened up her pouch so, a little bit so we could see inside and, and told us about it. And then she asked us if we wanted to know what it felt like inside the pouch. And we all said yes. And she said, stick your finger in your ear. And that's what the pouch feels like inside. She said it's very waxy. So that was really cool. Then they took us back to the stage and they showed us a couple more, a few more animals. Um, and then explained a little bit about them. And then that was, that was that show. After the backstage pass, I just, I went back to the front of the park to get on the bus tour. The bus tour is, um, open from, well, you can get on the bus from park opening until an hour before it closes. It's a double decker bus that takes you to around about 70% of the zoo and allows you to see the layout and some of the animal exhibits that you can go back and visit later. Sometimes it's nice to go on the bus when it's hot during the day rather than in the morning when the animals are more active. Or you might want to do that first when you first get there so you can get an idea of the different enclosures and what you really want to visit later on. So I think it's a personal choice. I decided to do it in the afternoon. I had to show my entrance ticket to get on the bus. So I found out that annual pass holders have to pay to ride the bus, where zoological members um, who donate money and daily guests that pay for our entrance, the bus is included. And I figure it's to keep the bus free for, I'll call it paying guests, rather than the annual pass holders who go there all the time. So I thought that was interesting. So if you get a ticket and you, and, or you have, you print it out at home and get in or you have your ticket, don't lose it because you cannot get on the bus without it. There was a group of people who had three tickets and four people and they would not let them on the, they wouldn't let the fourth person on the bus. So it's just something to keep in mind. Uh, they do have a priority section, boarding section for people using ECVs. The bus tour takes around 35 minutes to go around the zoo, and then the person narrates, pointing out the various animals and, you know, some tidbits about them, um, even like how they might have come to the zoo or other other interesting information. Do they point out their favorite plants? No, they didn't, but it's this funny to say that. This one and this one. Sorry. It's funny Tom says that because she used to work at the Animal Kingdom in Orlando. So she did use a couple of of uh, jokes that they say on the Jungle Cruise, and I was just kind of snickering to myself. Oh, speaking of that, uh, when we were looking at the kangaroo, when we were when we were looking at the kangaroo and petting it, she, the uh, docent asked, "Does anybody know what a baby kangaroo is called?" And I pipe up with Rue, and she goes, "Disney fan, huh?" And I was like, "Cause it's it's a Joey," and I knew that, but my mind just went to Rue. So, yeah, after that, I didn't volunteer any more answers or questions or anything. I stayed really quiet. 
after that. But it was funny when somebody looked at me and she said, you're a Disney fan, right? Um, the, the bus tour was pretty interesting. Um, and it takes, it starts off and takes you back to the, basically the same place where you get off. And after that, I decided, I just wandered around the zoo, visited various exhibits. I never did use the kangaroo bus, but it does have four stops in the zoo. It takes you to the outback, um, the panda trek towards the back, back of the park. The area between the Northern Frontier and the Elephant Odyssey, which is at the back of the park, and the area between the Elephant Odyssey and the Africa Rocks, which isn't open right now. It's all construction in there. And even though I didn't stay until the zoo closed, um, I did see a lot that there was. I stayed pretty late, and I noticed that people kept coming. It was 5.30, and there were still people coming into the zoo. So either these people had uh, were annual pass holders, or they had one of the multi, uh, multi-day tickets, and they left during the heat of the day and came back when it cooled down again. So that's another thing people might want to think about uh, when you go and visit. For you planners, I recommend going to their excellent website. Plan out your day. Check out the times and various activities to do. Um, if you purchase tickets and experiences online, you get a 10% discount. So it does pay to prepare ahead of time. And Nancy mentioned um, the fantastic restaurant at the treetops. I really didn't go to any of the restaurants since I had brought my own food. I know. But there's another... Well, I did notice that there were cafes. They're all around the zoo. So you don't have to worry about getting to a section and backtracking to get to any one place to eat. They have 15 different places to eat over there, serving all kinds of food. They also have a treetops cafe where it has flatbread pizza, Italian style cuisine, sandwiches. There's a lot of places. So just make sure you look at either online or look at the map. And then again, figure out where you want to eat and then mark that time in the area at the map. So you say, okay, well, we're going to be in the elephant section at lunchtime. So I'm going to have lunch in that area. Or if there's a particular restaurant, like Nancy said, they ate at, the name of the restaurant is Albert's. So if you want to go eat fine dining at Albert's, then you're going to make sure you're at that part of the of the part of the zoo, um, so you can eat there at that time. There's just so much to see over there. Um, the tiger enclosure is also another beautiful area. Right now, the polar bear enclosure was being um, re. There's it's uh, being. I'll say reimagined because we're all <laughs> Disney friends, but they're they're redoing it so that exhibit was closed, so we couldn't see the polar bears. But in 2017, when Nancy and her family and I go, <laughs> it's gonna Tom, you you and Chris should bring Wes down. We should okay. make, a, we make a group out of it. There's so much to do um, over there. But back to um, let me just finish up with um, this part. Um, the one day pass is $50. It's the same as the Safari Zoo. They're the same cost. One day pass is $50. Children are $40. The one day plus pass, which includes one of the 4D shows, is $6 more. The two day pass is $90 for adults, $70 for kids, and it can be used for the zoo, um, and or the San Diego Safari Park. So you can either go one, the zoo one day, the safari park another day, or two days at the zoo or two days at the safari park. They also have the three for one pass, which includes the zoo, safari park, and Sandy, SeaWorld San Diego. It's 165 for adults, 135 for children. Or you can get the Go San Diego card, which is a three day pass hopper for the above three plus Legoland. 
as well as, um, they said 35 other attractions in San Diego. I didn't look them up. But to tell you the truth, there's so much to do at the zoo, so much to do at the safari park that I don't know that I would really want to leave them to do something else. So I don't know that I would want to get the three for one, the three for one pass. I, there's just too much to do to be hopping. Plus, when you figure driving, parking, and stuff, that's a lot of day wasted. Other adventures that you can do at the zoo for a price, the backstage pass. Now, these are the prices online. Remember, you get a 10% discount. The backstage pass, which is what I did, that allows close-up views of the animal ambassadors and their trainers is $105. They have early morning with the pandas. This is two hours with a visit to the pandas before the zoo opens to the public. You get to watch them eat breakfast. You see them up close, and they talk, tell you about them a little bit behind the scenes of how they care for them. Then you get a tour around the zoo in a VIP cart. Personally, I would have liked this one more. The only reason I didn't get it is because I would have had to have left my house at 5 a.m. to get there by 7 a.m. or earlier. And since I had to lay it out with my coworkers, there was no way I was going to do that. But that adventure is $99 per person. Same for adults and children. They have another adventure called Crazy About Cats, which is behind the scenes with wild cats. Um, again, this is early morning before the zoo opens at $99. Um, since I did the Safari Park one, which I really loved, I don't know that I would do Crazy About Cats, but it's something for people to consider. They have another one called Inside Look, which is a two-hour entertaining and educational look behind the scenes. That one's $79 per person, children and adults. This is one that I probably would do the next time I go to the zoo. It's called Discovery Cart One Hour Tour with a Guide. It's $49 for adults or children. Um, and it's pretty cool because the guide's going to take you around in a cart and tell you about the animals. It's a more personal tour. So it's like the, bus, also, the bus tour only in a cart. And- right. Only in, the, in a cart with... With a guide talking to you personally, so you can ask questions right. and, and you're zipping around rather than seeing from the, you know, on the bus, being me, I waited for the next bus because I wanted to sit in the very front. Um, and since I was by myself, it was easy to ask that if I could do that. If I was with a group, I wouldn't have done it. Um, if you're sitting on the bus, you're run, you're peering from side to side because some of the exhibits are on the left or the right side. In these carts, they're showing you up, you know, you you can see everything. And you're not standing up looking over somebody's shoulder to see certain exhibits. So I really like that idea. And for 50 bucks, you know, it's $49, so I'll call it $50. Depending, you know, on, on who you're with, I think it's a good option. And the bus is 35 minutes and this is an hour. So I'm thinking they're taking you places that the bus doesn't go because of the size of the roads. They also have the Sunrise Surprise Stroll, which I really liked. This is a a special surprise area that you see in the morning for $29. Only adults can go 12 and up, so no no young children can go on this one. And I don't know if it's because of the walking or the animal that you're going to, the surprise animal that you're going to see. Maybe it's the porcupine, I don't know. Um, Then they have the exclusive VIP tour which it takes you to the off exhibit areas um there's animal interactions personalized service this is only 599 dollars plus per person uh, depending on all? the tour that you want that's it per person so you're a family of four so you have to really like animals i think to go on the exclusive vip tour i'm, I'm hoping that that includes the skyway even for tony <laughs> <laughs> so if 
for those of you who listened to my um, safari park segment, I had asked my friend Leslie which was better, the zoo or the safari park. And her answer was kind of frustrating because she said it depends. So after I visited the zoo, visiting the, both the San Diego Safari Park and the San Diego Zoo, my thought is she's absolutely right. The zoo and the safari park are two different experiences, and I really can't say one is better than the other. Um, I do think that the zoo requires more pre-planning in order to make it worthwhile versus the, the San Diego Safari Park. And the zoo has more animal exhibits, whereas the safari park has more enclosures that give the animals more free reign to go where they want. So if you want to see what an, an animal is like in its in its natural setting, then definitely go to the safari park. But if you want to see animals like pandas and koalas, kangaroos, those type animals, then you need to go to the zoo so you can see them. But absolutely worth it. Um, if you really... If, if you're, if you just, if you're just going to the zoo and you're like, you know, not, not just for a fun thing to do, one day is going to, you could do it in one day, no problem. If you really want to use this experience to learn about, um, the animals that inhabit our planet, how they take care of them, because there's so many good um, exhibits here and there's a lot you can do, it depends what you want out of it. You could spend, I'd say probably, a day and a half easily, maybe two days here. Because I, being by myself, I just walk, you know, I pretty much walk through it. If I had been with Kelly, we would have spent a lot of time learning more about some of the exhibits, I think, to visit. The San Diego Zoo is well worth the, the drive invest, the time investment to drive there and to visit the park. I highly, highly recommend it. It's, like they say, it's when they say it's world class, they really it's for a good reason. Very cool. Where are you heading next? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, cool. The zoo was a the zoo was a lot of fun. That yeah. was I and I just went yesterday, so a lot of it is still fresh in my mind. And very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got that tour with Bob Gurr coming up. Oh yeah, that's true. Right. That's coming up July seventeenth. So maybe I'll combine that with a taste of uh, farmer's market. There you go. Nice. <laughs> yeah. My, maybe, maybe my next one will be Disney in Los Angeles. There you go. All right. Thank you, Mary Jo. Thanks, Nancy. That is going to do it for this segment of the Design Plugged. Be sure to catch all of our other Design Plugged podcasts this week. And, of course, we'll be back again with you next week. Until then, remember, Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared. Thanks for listening. <laughs>